the 1830s, there was a Baptist lay preacher named William Miller who was in upstate New York, and he did study, and he said based upon his study of Scripture, he believed that Christ was going to come again in 1843 to 1844, sometime between April of 1843 and April of 1844. Uh, very little people heard him, but then all of a sudden there was a movement to listen to him, and many people bought into his scheme. In fact, there was a strong following of him in, in England. And then when April 43 came to April 1844, nothing happened. And so he said, I'm, I'm refiguring my calculations. He said, I believe the Lord is going to come again on, I think it's October the 13th of this year. And so many people sold everything they had or gave it away, and they waited for the Lord to come, and he did not. And it was called the Great Disappointment, William Miller. In 1988, many of you remember, there was an aeronautical engineer who wrote a little booklet called 88 Reasons the Lord is Going to Come Again in 1988. Or if you're from the Low Country, 88 Reasons the Lord is Going to Come in 88. Uh, I had three people to give me this book and say, you need to read this. It's about 30, 40, 50 pages. Uh, I, I did not. And, uh, of course, the Lord didn't come again. And recently, there was a man named Harold Campion who spent millions and millions of dollars to get poster statements all over the nation and bought 20 RVs and rode all over the nation saying the Lord is going to come again in uh, May of 2011. When it didn't happen, he said, well, I was wrong. It's going to be October of 2011. It didn't happen. And many people called into his radio program saying, you know, I sold everything I had and I waited for this to happen and it hasn't happened. Well, the bonds of Bible say. Jesus says with, with great, I mean, I, I, I'm always, people are, I, you can't get any more clear than this. This is Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus says, no one knows that that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. No one knows. And so when Paul comes to this passage where he's answering questions about that the, the, the church has given him about the coming of the Lord, he, he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the passage we'll look at this morning, starting in verse 1. Now, now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be alert and self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. So the Apostle Paul says this. He says, let me, let me tell you three things that we do know about the coming of the Lord. The, the, the coming of the Lord, it, it will be like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. It will be sudden. Then he says in verse 4, but, but you brothers are not in darkness, <clears throat> so this day should not surprise you because you live with a sense of readiness. Secondly, he says this, 
He says, when the Lord comes, people will be running around, calling out to each other, peace, safety. Live life to the fullest. Have a good day. Let's make 20 and 40 and 50 year plans. Just, just take life easy. And he says, verse 6, he says this, so then let us not be like others who are asleep. They're sleepwalking. They don't realize the brevity of life. The life is a vapor. It's a mist. They, they, they don't realize that, that today their life could end. They, they, they buy the lie that, that life is going to go, go on and on and on. They're like the people who go to, to retirement homes and live with 24-hour help, and they hear caregivers say to them, hey, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. No, they're not. They don't realize that the time is short. But so they run around with, with these slogans, peace and, and safety, and there's absolutely no urgency in, in what they're about. There's no concept of eternity that's, that's held before them. Thessalonica, the church of Thessalonica, Thessalonica was a great city. In fact, Lonely Planet two years ago said the top ten party cities in the world, number five is, I'll give you this, Walterboro or Thessalonica? <laughs> Answer B, Thessalonica, one of the top ten party cities in the world, Thessalonica. In fact, Maybe the Junior Chamber of Commerce has something like this. Welcome to sunny Thessalonica. Voted one of the top five most up-and-coming city in Pax Romana. Come visit us this summer, 55 A.D. That's, that was, that's ancient travel. That's, I made that up. That wasn't on Okay. But that, that's the way they live. They, it's, it's, no urgency. No, no concept of urgency. This is 1938, well-known situation. There was a man named Hitler in Germany. Hitler received what is now the Czech Republic. And which should have been grounds for war, violated the, every treaty that had been signed. And there was a prime minister called Neville Chamberlain who flew to Munich and met with Hitler. And he came back, and he got off the plane on September the 30th, 1938. And he went to the microphones, and he said, Here, Hitler has signed this agreement. I believe he's an honest man. This is peace for our time. And then that night, he released a statement from 10 Downing Street. The residence of the prime minister said, I believe this is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And now I recommend you go home and sleep quietly in your beds. Less than a year later, England would be at war with the man they could trust. No sense of urgency. Well, you think of the scripture example in Matthew chapter 24. I read the first part earlier where Christ says, No one knows the day of the hour. And he says this, as it was, verse 37, In the days of Noah... So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Suddenly. When people are sleepwalking, you think about Noah building his ark. The ark was 
150 yards long. It wasn't a pleasure craft. It was an ocean, it's an ocean liner. And he built it in broad daylight. All of his neighbors, what are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why? God's going to judge the world. Right, Noah. Let's go get some more food and drink. What are you doing, Noah? God's going to judge the earth. Why are you gathering these animals? God's going to judge the earth. Right. No big deal. Let's go. Now think about the world, the world we live in. The, the slogans, peace, safety, no big deal. Life is going to go on. We'll overcome this health problem. Boom. You die. And I just, I, I read, I got you, I, I, as I've studied this and prayed over it, man, God has really de- been dealing with me t- about living with urgency. You know? And it's, I tell you, it, it is hard, it is hard to live with urgency in a culture that's got it good. And we're fine. And, 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 and everything around us shouts forth, you know, we're, we're okay. We're, we're okay. You're going to be fine. We just need to say to each other frequently, Jesus is coming, you're going to die. Live with purpose, live with dignity, live with urgency. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was given a responsibility of preaching to a group of people. And the Lord said, before you start, Jeremiah, let me tell you, they're not going to listen to you, but don't you preach anyway. So Jeremiah is preaching to the people, repent and turn to Jehovah God. And so as, as he goes about, he, he says to people, repent and believe in the living God. Turn from your wicked ways. Break up your unplowed ground. And in desperation, Jeremiah says, I, I thought, chapter 5, verse 4, I thought, these are only the poor, the foolish. They're, they're not educated. They do not know the way of Jehovah, the requirements of their gods. So I will go to the leaders and I will speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. And he says this in chapter 10, 6, verse 10, to whom can I speak? And give warning. Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so that they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. And they find no pleasure in it. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to the leaders. You know, this talking about God's covenant people. I'll, I'll go to the leaders in the church. This week I was reading some things put out by a Christian organization. And they, they've just departed from the truth. They don't preach Christ. They preach some type of vague communitarianism that is based on nothing. There's no cross. There's no atonement. There's no strong reality in savor of Jesus. And I, and I thought, I thought, these people do 600 times more damage to the cause of Christ than any New Age practitioner ever will. 
There's a little magazine out there. You can get it anywhere. It's called Natural Awakenings. It's free. It's got all types of advertisements in there about new age people and how to do this and how to, and some, some of it is just silly. Some of it is very dark about how to channel people or how to read crystals or how to do that in workshops. It's very, very dark. It's, it's very dark. But when I pick up that thing, I know where they're coming from. So I understand that. But when I see people who have Christian pastor behind their name and they preach not Jesus and they hold not up the gospel, I die a thousand deaths. And I say to you leaders in this church, I say to us pastors and elders and deacons, are we listening to the word of God? And then Jeremiah goes on and says this. He says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace. Peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No. They, they have no shame. They do not even know how to blush. So, so it's going to come like a thief in the night people going around run around with their slogans peace and safety thirdly it's going to come like labor pains in childbirth now i think what he's saying here is is that is that it's going to come and there's no turning back we had vacation bible school two weeks ago and i was my, my job was to walk the hall and hug children and high five workers it's a good job and I was amazed at the incredible number of pregnant women that were here. I mean, everywhere. I mean, e- everywhere. Praise God. Thank the Lord. And it's, it's interesting that I've talked to people. You know, when I was, when we had our first child, we went to eight Lamaze classes. The most, and I was told in those classes that Dads, you're here because you're just as important as the mom. That's the biggest joke I've ever heard in my life. I, you know, I, come on. The woman does all the work. So, but I've, been, I've talked to many fathers who were in the birthing unit who said that in the middle of labor, before epidurals, that the mother would say, I've decided not to do this. <laughs> I, 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 don't want, I, don't, I don't want to do this. Well, at that point, the coach just needs to be quiet. <laughs> because the, the, the truth is, you know, basic biology 101, once the process starts, it is going to come to fruition. And, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He said, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to come to fruition, and there's no turning back. There is no escape. In Revelation chapter 6, it says this, verse 14, the, the, the sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place 
Then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who can stand it? And the answer is no one. It's final. It's true. And then he goes over in chapter 7. He talks about the Lamb again, but in a different way. Not the, the wrath of the Lamb. Listen to verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that, that no one could, could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Because they came to the Lamb through His way, they rejoiced. Then it says this in verses 16 and 17. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. The Lamb. Don't come to the living God through the work of Christ upon the cross. When the day of judgment comes, you will cry, Rocks, crush me to death. Bury me alive rather than be exposed to the wrath that flows from the Lamb who's been rejected. Conversely, if you come to Him through the cross, there is forgiveness of sin because Christ died on the cross for our sins and we glory in the Lamb and we wave palm branches and worship and we sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy to receive power and wisdom and might and glory and all worship. Now, do you know that? You see, that's why there is an urgency here. There's no second chance. I was reading a few months ago about a guy in the University of Iowa, a freshman who stole somebody's driver's license. And he decided to try to go into a bar, be involved in underage drinking, using a driver's license, and he was apprehended because the bouncer at the door is the man whose driver's license he stole. <laughs> University of Iowa, not real smart students over there at Ames. You know, there's only one way it's through Christ. It's going to come in the night, people are going to be sloganeering. Those can be like labor pains. There's, there's no turning back. Conversely, and this is beautiful. Conversely, Paul says, but, 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 but you brothers are not in darkness. This day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who sleepwalk. But let us be alert and self-controlled. We belong 
to the day. We are alert. We are aware. We live with expectation. We know that life is brief. We know that Christ is coming again. We know we'll give an account. We know it's only through the cross. And so we're filled with sobriety. We're filled with joy. We're filled with expectation and urgency. We're alert and we're self-controlled. In Mark chapter 4, Christ gives the parable of the sower. And it's verse 18 and 19 talks about, about the seed that bears fruit for a while, but it doesn't. And he says, listen, he says, but there, there's a, a third seed. He says, when, when still others are, are like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Every time I read that and I meditate on it, it just, it just hits me that, that, that the word... Really, the word choke means to slowly strangle. Just another way to translate this word is to crowd out. So you just, it's just crowded out. It's, it's just, it, these things just, just crowd out the word and the life of Christ, the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. See, we, we ought to say to one another, man, we are, the day, we are of the day. We are sons and daughters of the light. These things don't crowd out in our lives. We walk with purpose and dignity. We, we, we don't fall prey to the, 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 the worries of this life. See, we, John Calvin has a great quote. Read it. I put it in the bulletin about this passage in, in this regard. Do not let the world's system crowd out the reality of Jesus. Every time you buy something, every time, I'm, I'm serious, you should say, will this make me its master? There's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with possessions as long as you honor the Lord. God gives many people here the ability to make money and to use money and to bless people and to advance the kingdom because they're financial stewards in that regard. Thanks be to God for that. But boy, is. Time after time after time, I talk to people who make X, but live at X plus 50,000 lifestyle. It doesn't work. I mean, I'm not real good at math. If you make 250 grand a year and you live at a $300,000 lifestyle, you're not going to make it. You're going to be a slave to your possessions. We're children of the light. We we, We don't fall for the deceitful gimmicks of the world. And, and the, 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 the deceitfulness of wealth, wealth promises everything and it never delivers. Or for a short season. It whispers promises, 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 doesn't deliver. What a pipe dream. And then the, just the, the desire for other things. Just letting other things grab our attention. This is a silly example, but I read recently about a man in New York who spent... He says his life savings, $60,000 in a custody battle over his dog. Craig Dershowitz, 34, says that he's cleaned out his life savings in a legal battle over, quote, my son, close quote, a pug named Knuckles that his ex-girlfriend took to California. Dershowitz 
says that Knuckles, quote, can't be happy there because he hates water and he loves New York, close quote. How stupid can we get? That's the way people live. Desire for other things. But see, see, we should sit up and say, we will not be seduced by these things. We're children of the light. We will not sleepwalk. We're children of the light. We will live purposefully. We are children of the light because we've tasted the goodness of Christ and the glory of the world to come, and there's no turning back. And so we live differently in our, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our energies. Children of the light. And see, that's why we need people around us who, who, who say, live it this way. Pilgrim's Progress, great book, John Bunyan. Allegorical statement, Pilgrim is leaving the city of destruction. He's got the burden of sin on his back. And as he's leaving the city of destruction to go to the wicked gate where the cross is, his, his children and his wife come out and say, come back, come back, come back. And he put his fingers in his ears and he cried out with all of his voice, life, life, eternal life. And his neighbors came out, some cajoling, some threatening, some berating him. And he said, life, life, eternal life. That's what we need. When we hear the siren call of our culture or when we're mocked by our contemporaries, and they'll mock you, we say, no, a higher calling, a glorious calling. There is a God. He is triune. He became a man. His name is Jesus. And history's coming to a close, and my life is short. Life, life, eternal life. See, we, this, this is who we are. And that's what Paul says. Listen, be alert, which means to be startled, wide awake. Be alert and self-controlled. Be alert and self-controlled. Live with purposeful reality. Heard recently about a story about a man. This is Jack Nicholas, a great golfer. A couple had a twins, they named one Jack and one Nicholas. And Jack heard about it and called him or did something nice, really nice. How about this guy, Nolan Ryan, one of the greatest pitchers ever. Uh, on his last day that he pitched for the Texas Rangers, as he was retiring, the Texas Rangers organization said, if you come two hours early, we're going to open up the gates and let anybody who's named Ryan... After Nolan Ryan come and walk around the park and meet Nolan Ryan and be seated in a special place and have the day on us. They were expecting 200, maybe 3,000 showed up. So many people that quit checking IDs. It was such a mass of people. All these people came flooding in, walked around. Some of them met Nolan Ryan. They all got in free. What, 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 a, what a testimony to an athlete who really was an outstanding athlete and man. So Ryan, Jack, and Nicholas, I thought, you know, if I had twins, I, w- I, would, be, I would be tempted to name them alert and self-controlled. <laughs> Don't do that. That was kind of a joke. <laughs> but, but, but really, just, just remind yourself, at least if you've got dogs, rename them. Alert, self-controlled. Just remind yourself, hey, alert, get in here. Self-controlled, that, that's... That's what we're supposed to be, alert, self-controlled. Peter says, be be self-controlled so that you can pray. 
1 Peter 3, treat your wife with dignity and respect so that you can pray or seek God. Brothers and sisters of the light, we are to be alert and self-controlled, not to sleepwalk. Not, not to fall for the pandering of the sloganeering culture around us. But to understand. Wonderful book. Quoted last week. Let me just The Christian Mind by Harry Blamires wrote in 1963 says this. The Christian mind assumes that the powers of evil will exploit every possible occasion for drawing men into mental confusion of blurred concepts and twisted values. See, alert, self-controlled. There is about the Christian mind a peculiar hardness, a refusal to be surprised at evil and depravity, an inability to be overcome by shock, an expectation that evil will be at large where God is not. Yes. Therefore, we're alert and self-controlled. Therefore, we we call out to Jesus all the time. We pray for the fullness of the Spirit. We're alert and self-controlled. So, a couple of things. The first is this. This may be apocryphal, but I heard this story years ago. The story goes, in the early part of the 20th century, there was a man in Atlanta that had made a good bit of money and he was given options regarding two different stocks. One was in a company that he thought was a sure bet to survive. The other was in a company that was just getting off the ground and didn't really think it would do well. Some people said it would do very well. He put all of his money in company A, and he didn't put any money in company B. Company B was a small company called the Coca-Cola Company. And the story goes, the last three years of his life, when he lived in a very small house, with no savings, he was swinging back and forth saying, if only I had invested in Coca-Cola. If only I had invested in Coca-Cola. When I heard that story, I just thought, you know, hell in part will be filled with people who say with horror, if only I had listened to the gospel of Jesus. I believe that. Alert, self-controlled. The other application is this. Whether you're 76, 86, or 16, man, let's live with urgency. And one thing, as I get older, one thing I believe the devil does is that he beats us up about the head and the shoulders with lost opportunities or even squandered time some of us squandered decades don't fall to that live zealously today try to make amends for what you can but live today and go forward don't be like the guy saying if only i invest in coca-cola i mean you you've you've come to the cross there's a quote in here from, from a book i mentioned last week called lament for a son by a name, guy named walter storff his, his son died in a mountain accident at age 25 he was 51 professor at yale and this is what he says and after his son, he's buried his son, he's grieving. He says this, and what of regrets? Regrets regarding how he loved his son. I shall live with them 
I shall accept my regrets as part of my life to be numbered among my self-inflicted wounds, but I will not endlessly gaze at them. I shall allow the memories to prod me into doing better with those who are still living. I like that. And I shall allow them to sharpen the vision and intensity, the hope of that great day coming when we can throw ourselves into each other's arms and say, I'm sorry. And he says, you know, he says, I, boy, how, how true. We all, everybody here, we all have self-inflicted wounds. And we do. We've all blown it more times than even our spouse knows. We have. But, but, but the issue is to run to the cross and for every one look at our sin, take 25 looks at the dying Savior and say, Lord, out of obedience to you and out of glory in who you are and what you've done for me, I will live with a spirit of urgency that is alert and self-controlled. Now, thank you, your God, who gives new beginnings every day. So, so let's do that. Let's be a church, a, a body, a family, a, a marriage. Let's live knowing that God is God, a great day is coming, and we should live with a spirit of alertness and self-control and go forward. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day you've given us, that, that this is the Lord's day, and we thank you for the day of worship, a day of celebration, a day to be very glad, and we are glad. And we ask that you would work in us and through us to bring the reality of Christ into our lives in a stronger way. I, I pray, Lord, that we would be alert and self-controlled and that we would walk in diligence. Um, oh, God, uh, I, I pray we would live in such a way that we, we will not have a life that's filled with the craters of deep regret, but we would commit our way to you every day and cry out with all of our heart, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.